breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another episode of Reform This. Always an honor to be with all of you, and uh, thank you for taking the time to listen. Always like to broach topics here that uh, you may not find, and the topics today we're going to talk about you definitely have not found on on uh, lamestream traditional legacy media. And if you're looking for that rational Muslim voice of patriotism, of freedom, of liberty that speaks out against political theocratic Islam that isn't afraid to confront the root causes, you've come to the right place. And this week is no different. We're going to talk about a few smattering of topics and then talk about the idea of the caliphate. Not only last week we talked about sort of how the caliphate's head was thankfully killed, Baghdadi, but how its ideas will go on. And sure enough, we found, I was pointed to by a friend, to a piece about caliphism written right here by a leading American Muslim organization, so leading that its founder and president did the opening prayer for Congress earlier this year in May. Yes, I'm talking about the U.S. Congress. But first, I have to, I have to open by talking about this this nutty, psychotic rant that Congresswoman Ilhan Omar had at a Bernie Sanders rally. At a Bernie Sanders rally this week as she was stumping for her favorite socialist progressivist senator. She said, I'm going to join the fight. I stand for, I stand with Bernie Sanders because he will fight against Western imperialism and fight for a just world. He will fight against Western imperialism and fight for a just world. So this woman, who couldn't seem to get herself over the past few weeks to say anything negative publicly about the neo-caliph Erdogan, the cult of Turkey's neo-Ottoman Islamist theocracy, who is busy slaughtering Kurds this week in Syria, she couldn't find herself to say anything negative about him, but all of a sudden she goes full bore Islamist. She goes full bore anti-American in a rally for Bernie Sanders. And I thought, where did we hear this thing about Western imperialism? And well, sure enough, the red-green axis that you and I have talked about a lot, right? The red-green is that axis, that connection of common enemies between the communist socialists in the planet and the Islamists, the theocrats. They differ on a number of things, but they share the animus against the West, freedom, democracy against NATO, against liberalism. Well, sure enough, only a few days earlier, the code pink crazy heads were in Tehran. Ariel Gold tweets out just three days earlier, she tweets out, 
when Iranians chant death to America, death to Israel, they are not calling for the deaths of people, but empire and imperialism. That's what Ariel Gold said. And as Ben Shapiro rightly notes, that's probably the dumbest thing ever typed in one tweet in history. And that's not to mention that probably the most imperialist, the currently the most radical, violent, invasive, imperialist, militant, terrorizing country on the planet is the country she's in, Tehran. Ariel Gold is the one of the leading activists in Code Pink, the militant leftist radical organization. So it's insulting beyond get out. But then you see Ilhan Omar... The obvious Islamist who then talks about fighting against Western imperialism. These people don't even have the gumption. Islamists don't even have the gumption to even even try to appear that they care about the freedom of people in Hong Kong. They care about the freedom of people in Tehran, people in Baghdad, people in Beirut protesting to the hundreds of thousands in the streets day after day over the past few weeks, finally bringing, rekindling the Arab Spring and bringing a Persian Spring, a spring against the Shia theocrats that are trying to invoke a Shia crescent of theocracy, of oppressive theocracy, and our media can't seem to start to cover it. Because they're too busy making sure that Obama's legacy isn't shattered wide open by the people that want to be free from the terrorists, nation states of Islamist militant empires like Iran that the Obama administration seemed to facilitate along with Iraq and Syria. In Iraq that we had liberated from Saddam Hussein and President Obama then handed back and actually handed over to the Iranians. Remember, Iran and Iraq fought a war in which a million plus died, maybe two million, one million on each side in Iran and Iraq in the 80s between two radical dictatorships because it was Sunni secular dictators of Saddam versus the theocrats of the Khomeinists. And then, I think we did the moral good of seeing the end of the Ba'athists of Saddam in 19, I'm sorry, in 2005 and six. Yeah, there was an initial Persian Gulf War in 1993, but we never, obviously we just pushed them out of Kuwait at that time. But then, there was no indigenous revolution the people of Iraq were not equipped or ready or even moving to take over, so we broke the country and left it broken. Now, we could have maintained a presence and allowed them to slowly begin to operate with civil society as they started to do from into the transition period. But with all the mistakes that happened, the biggest one was the one punctuated at the end of the sentence of failure by the Obama administration in which the Khomeinists were allowed basically to do what they want and we just withdrew and allowed the growth of ISIS in the north 
and the takeover of Baghdad by the Khomeinists. That's what happens when America is not there. But the bottom line is, is who's imperialist? Ilhan Omar is talking about imperialism. She's not with the people. She's not with ideas of freedom or liberty. She is parroting the Islamist lens. Turns a blind eye to the imperialism of Turkey and to Syria. The imperialism of Turkey along with the Islamists of Qatar. And its fealty in working with Iran through a Sunni Shia hegemony of viral caliphism, if you will. And yet, her favorite presidential candidate is the one that's going to fight against Western imperialism. How shameful. What a representation of American Muslims. Those of us who came from families who escaped, escaped the torture, the oppression of countries like Syria. Initially, my parents escaped the Ba'athists of Syria, which then became Hafiz and Bashar Assad's party. And now became client states of Iran. Can't find any speech by Ilhan Omar in which she decries Assad's war crimes or decries Iranian infiltration and takeover of Syria as a client state or Lebanon takeover by Hezbollah. She never cries for the people. She's an Islamist tool. And it'll be interesting to find out more about whose connections and lobby have been responsible for her rise. But then you see the language similar with Code Pink in that red-green axis where Ariel Gold's talking about the Iranian, you know, Khomeini tweeted this, I think, a couple years ago in which he said, oh, we don't mean death to America, we mean death of the empire. Death of the imperialism. Now, the Code Pink folks are repeating the, the mantra of the Khomeinists who are trying to deceive. Because then only two days later, memory, unroofed, Iranian school children being taught, being taught to actively, actively demonstrate on the anniversary of the 1979 takeover of the U.S. Embassy in Tehran. And they said, it feels good, these kids. These kids said it feels good to punch America in the mouth. Death to America, death to Israel, they said on the video. And I don't think they're talking about Kool-Aid punch. I think they're talking about physical punch. So these aren't metaphors. The Islamists lie to us. The Islamists are dissimulators who will lie while they continue to radicalize their folks. And if that's not enough, what did the UN have this week? Well, the UN decided, as its foreign ministry tweeted out, decided to have an exhibition of the Islamic Republic of Iran's achievements in the field of human rights as it opened its UN office in Geneva on Monday, November 4th. And it showed poster after poster in the hall, proud of its human rights record. And as our ambassador to Germany... Richard Grinnell tweets out, this is unbelievable. 
the UN has become a, a joke, has become a be clown of itself. It's be clowned itself, and it cannot be taken seriously. Now, the, the Syrian American, the expatriate Syrian community, will tell you that from 2012 on, that the UN was entirely, completely useless. And if it cannot unite together to stop the crimes against humanity that were videotaped, that were spread through video clips all over the planet, as 600,000 died in an ongoing record of the genocide in Syria, the UN is completely beyond hapless but entirely useless and a tool of dictators, a tool of thugs and de- dictators to legitimize their internal terrorism on their own people and their spread of terrorism as Iran has done. So next, let's talk about, I think, the bigger topic. The bigger topic is what Islamists are doing in the United States. And what better way to understand the depth of the roots with which Islamists have begun to dig their heels in in the United States than to look at some of the core topics. And what what topic is the most important? One of the core, I've always said the core topic is the Islamic State concept. Second to that would then be jihad. But within jihad and Islamic State is the concept of a caliphate. So I would tell you that if the caliphate becomes embodied to equal what ISIS was, that idea will die very quickly. Because the vast majority of Muslims I know, if that's the only concept of caliphate that they have, it will die. It's viewed as a slave state, a, a militant theocracy, a, a Wahhabi state on even steroids beyond as bad as Saudi Arabia as it was viewed as a hundred times worse. But if you're able to create the concept of a caliphate, an ISIS light, a caliphate that is triumphant, that is equal but different to the other unions across the world, that actually might have a lot of traction in the Muslim world. And what better place to present the alternative so-called moderate caliphate than in the United States? And that, ladies and gentlemen, we bring in The Yaqeen Institute. What is Yaqeen? Yaqeen is the Arabic word for certainty. An institute that the word Yaqeen means you attain the sense of certainty. The more you study, the more you become embodied with knowledge. So its founder, Imam or Sheikh or whatever he's calling himself these days, uh, Omar Suleiman, named it the Akin Institute and has a number of writings on there that claims that uh, he has little to do with uh, many of them. They're the ideas of their own writers. If you look through the names, uh, Jonathan Brown, Arar Omesh, just elected to the Virginia School Board. Father is Isam Omesh. You look at other scholars on there and Muslim leaders, and it's like a who's who teeming with every one of them being clear identifiers with the ideas of the Muslim Brotherhood, with the movement of the Muslim Brotherhood. Now, you won't have a hard time finding many of them actually acknowledging that. Now, 
some of them, including former MSA leaders on there, have clearly, I, I think one of them, there's video out there reciting the pledge of the Muslim American Society, which is basically the same to fight for uh, um, the way of God and, and jihad and to die for Allah, all of those sayings that are the Muslim Brotherhood's mantra. And I think it's Altaf Hussein who's on there. Bottom line is, is this is a Muslim Brotherhood ideological organization. So then you look on their website, and they have a piece out from just a few weeks ago, a few days ago, called Who Wants the Islamic Caliphate? I said a few weeks ago because there's an editor's note that said the publication was scheduled for release before the news of the death of ISIS's leader, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. And in light of the news, we felt even more important to release the paper to contrast the way the concept of the caliphate lives in the Islamic tradition and many Muslim minds with the image in the Western imagination evoked by the brutality of ISIS. So, the author asked the question, who wants, who wants the Islamic caliphate? And he describes his indebtedness to his fellow Islamists. My editorial comment there. But you look at their names, Jonathan Brown, the Islamist from Georgetown who rationalized slavery. Rationalized slavery. The video's online. Take a look at it. And he named others. Omar and Khasi, Muhammad al-Sayyid Bushra, Mobin Vaid, and others. His heartfelt gratitude goes out to the leadership of Yakin who encouraged me to write on this challenging topic and to the numerous students and places all over North America and to nearly every Muslim country who I've taught this material in various formats. The writer, Ovamar Anjum, the Imam Khattab, Endowed Chair of Islamic Studies at the Department of Philosophy and Religious Studies at the University of Toledo, studied in Wisconsin. The system, the university system, that was my own alma mater. He said his focus of his work is on the nexus of theology, ethics, politics, and law in Islam with comparative interest in Western thought. So, let's look at some of it. It's a long piece, I'd say, oh, easily five to 10,000 words. So I'm not going to be able to go through all of the main points. But the bottom line is this Yaqeen Institute by Omar Sulaiman. If they can present a caliphate concept that sells, the idea is actually very common. Caliphism, the belief in some kind of Islamic caliphate, is not a is not a a offshoot marginal ideology. It has a plurality of Muslims that believe in it. Plurality, which is a large number compared to the 1.6 billion total Muslims. So the Muslim Brotherhood folks, just like the Khomeinists, are trying their best right now to normalize that idea as an alternative to the secular dictators. And Omar Suleiman, remember you may you may remember that name. Where did it come up before? 
I exposed, along with others, his ideas when he was selected by Eddie Bernice Johnson in Texas. Congresswoman selected him or recommended him to Nancy Pelosi to do the opening prayer for Congress, as that gets rotated sometimes to community chaplains. And I found that offensive. I was a doctor to Congress for two years as a naval officer. And certainly I would be proud to have a patriotic Muslim give that invocation. But to have an Islamist who rejects the very substrate of America's separation of church and state, rejects the very rejection of theocracy that our founding fathers fought for because he believes in the ascendancy of an Islamic state, doesn't mean he's necessarily, as a minority, not following the laws but this is a guy who has nowhere written that Omar Suleiman believes that if Muslims are a majority that they shouldn't have the Quran be the constitution and Sharia be the law and a caliphate be created. And here is one of his scholars at his institute talking about that. He opens the piece. Not Suleiman. But the writer here opens the piece, Mr. Anjum, talking about how lo- how loaded and charged the word caliphate has become. From the Ottomans to ISIS. Keeps talking about neoliberal economics. Compares liberalism to the second twin evil, if you will, of capitalism. And he feels a recent boost for the idea of the good caliphate was the rise of a bad one and its defeat. So look at this utilitarian ethics that he is basically opening his peace with that somehow... By seeing the polar negative, you then empower the need for a polar positive. As if the Muslim consciousness is entrapped in this theocratic mindset, so therefore the more evil one becomes, the more need the world has to create a moderate version of it. Hey, Sheikh Anjum, maybe the problem is the entire theocratic mindset needs to be destroyed and defeated into the dustbin of history. And there are many Muslims, especially led by those of us in the Muslim Reform Movement, that reject every Islamic state, every Islamic republic, and every idea of the caliphate, no matter how moderate you try to make it. He talks about populist leaders like Recep Erdogan, who's capitalized on the growing global Muslim nostalgia for the Ottoman Caliphate. Sultan Erdogan, as he affectionately calls himself. He cites the New York Times that the Caliphate was an idea with more appeal than many in the West wanted to admit. The vile, self-serving politics of Middle Eastern despots. Okay, yeah, I'd agree with that phrase. 
and the deepening rifts of sectarian violence seem to have led to a broad, mainstream embrace of a collective Muslim identity that is global and overtly political, and that has prompted young Muslims to view themselves as a collective community for whom a homeland would provide solutions to trying circumstances. Ding, ding, ding. It's called populist caliphism. He talked about the obstacles to caliphism, its undesirability, its unfeasibility, and or religious unnecessarity, being unnecessary religiously. And then he talks about the fact that the idea that the caliphate is unfeasible simply because it no longer exists is based on little more than a failure of imagination and intellectual courage. Such an important point to understand that these Muslim Brotherhood folks constantly, they use failure as an evidence that it can be done better, and they use success and triumphalism as, ex- as an example that they are better than the others. It's a win-win situation for them. If they fail, they're victims. If they fail, they're something better. If they win, it's because they're good. Not because they cheated, because they lie, or because they're oppressive, or because they torture their enemies. No, it's because they're the good ones. That's what jihad is all about, isn't it? It's a militant, oppressive restriction on religious freedom only for the religious practice of the caliph. He then goes through to talk about how caliphism is not a utopia, that it's simply a construct of a common ummah, of a common community. And then goes on to legitimize, to legitimize its ideology. He said, leading scholars, let me, let's look at which scholars the Yaqeen Institute is endorsing. Some leading scholars of Islam like Hujat al-Islam al-Ghazali, have considered the caliphate an obligation regardless of its efficacy, like a religious ritual, thus separating it from its political functionality or utility. Others, like Sheikh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah and Imam Jawaini, have emphasized its rational nature. The latter view, I believe, is more compelling so this guy is using Ibn Taymiyyah as a compelling author about the legitimacy of caliphism. So I know to some of you this may just be way beyond sort of the intellectual engagement you've thought about having with Islam, but when you have this stuff on the primary front page websites of an organization that is based out of Texas, a guy, Omar Suleiman, that runs this, wrote a piece about his political activism. And he said of his political activism that, and I'll go into that maybe if we have time, if we don't, let me just tell you, he says in there that he doesn't take positions on this and that. He tries to be active and different, uh, nonpartisan, but it looks and it is clear to anyone who reads that that he uses the reason he's nonpartisan is he doesn't care about American party politics. He's an Islamist. He, If it was up to him, he'd form an Islamic party, but he can't do that in a, in a country that doesn't have religious parties, so therefore he picks and chooses in a dissimulation in a taqiyya kind of way. And he, in that piece written just a few weeks before this one, 
but this one was written by Omar Suleiman. Suleiman says that the most dangerous man in American politics is Ted Cruz. The most dangerous man in the American Senate, he said. Oh, I wonder why that is. Maybe because Ted Cruz was one of the leaders that wanted to make the Muslim Brotherhood into a terrorist FTO, designated as an FTO, for which I testified to Congress also. Foreign terrorist organization. And meanwhile, Suleiman and the Aqeen Institute, that's Institute of Certainty, they're certain. And even goes on at the end of this piece, Anjum says at the end of the piece that yeah, Muhammad didn't talk about a caliphate. He didn't. He, but yet, look, he had an Islamic state. He had this and that, therefore making it obvious that we needed to have a caliphate and an Islamic state. I mean, the circular argumentation in this piece goes without pale. They admit that there's nothing about governance in the Quran and that all of this is derived from scholars like Ibn Taymiyyah in the 10th, 11th, and 12th century. And that even if they took things directly from the way the Prophet led, it was not from sections of direction from God and the Qur'an that had to do with general religious direction, but rather specific insinuations about various rules of running society, which were too nonspecific in the Qur'an. But, oh, well, if it wasn't for hadith, we wouldn't know how to pray or anything, so therefore you got to go with the way they lived at the time. Never mind the advancement in political technology that we see with Western democracy and liberal democracy, with the revolutions in the West, especially Americanism and Western American Revolution, and what we have learned as Americans as being the most preeminent form of American governance, of human governance, being liberal secular democracy, while being under God. They can't see that. They don't want to see that because they're Islamic supremacists who follow Ibn Taymiyyah that believed in killing apostates because they were treasonous to the Islamic State. They left their covenant with the Quran as the Constitution, so therefore they were guilty of treason. Blasphemers are guilty of sedition, according to Ibn Taymiyyah. And Anjum uses Ibn Taymiyyah as the scholar's view that he viewed as being more compelling. Any attempt, he said, to transcend the existing state of affairs, which we shall identify as the nation-state system, which I love, in favor of pan-Islamic unification in the Muslim world, would have to engage in a long and hard dialogue about these problems. Here's his justification for the caliphate. Such an endeavor, moreover, would have to involve in this dialogue and rebuilding not only all Muslims, especially disadvantaged and disenfranchised, but also non-Muslim citizens of Muslim lands, regional neighbors, and the global scholarly and scientific community. To make his justification, we must also turn to history and politics the so-called fuqh al-waqi. In reality, these two types of discourse must proceed dialectically. So he's talking about patience, that this will come with time, that Muslims will wake up to a moderate caliphate, and that basically, no different than the other 
brotherhood-type intellectual massager, Shadi Hamid, who wrote a book on Islamic exceptionalism, that basically, this is exactly what this is calling for, is that basically systems can live side by side and be mutual and cooperative and have certain partnerships. And that while obviously this Islamist and I and free-thinking people also reject the Chinese system. They talk about a Chinese system living side-by-side side with Western democracy. But seriously, side-by-side, side, the Chinese are trying to destroy us. They're stealing our ideas. They're trying to ultimately weaken us so that they can later take it over. So that example is horrific. And we hope to see, I obviously, as somebody who loves to see people free, not only because of, yes, because of the war crimes committed, the crimes against humanity committed by the Chinese government against the Uyghurs, against the Muslims, the millions in camps, tortured and killed, raped and abused because they will not leave Islam trying to be deprogrammed, but because of what they do to the entire population of Chinese who reject their fascism, their communism, and their party ideology. Islamists are the same way, whether it's Erdogan, whether it's Khomeini, whether it's Assad, whether it's the Qataris and their populist Islamism, of what you see reeks on Al Jazeera. These ideas are anathema to freedom. And Jim continues, this is out of Texas, ladies and gentlemen, the justification for the caliphate. He says, there are more and more compelling grounds to make such a case today. Over the past few decades, globalization has enormously increased Muslims' awareness of other Muslims and of their unity of circumstance and vision across the globe. At the same time, the gap between the haves and the have-nots has increased tremendously in every society. The Arab uprisings threw into sharp relief the commonality of the public sphere of nearly two dozen Arabic-speaking countries. The convulsions are far from over. And the tragedies in every country have demonstrated the vacuity of national sovereignty as oil-based monarchies and military autocrats, and he goes on. The same argument I've made here so many times, which is because the Islamist equates secularism with military national fascist dictatorships. They think they're the only option in town otherwise. It's what Hamas did with Fatah. It's what Saddam, after he left, the Islamists said that that was secularism. In Egypt, the Brotherhood did it constantly with Jamal Abdel Nasser, Sadat Mubarak, Nawal Sisi. But there are other pathways. There are other ideas. And the Arab awakening was not because of the Islamists. The Arab awakening started because families, because feminists and liberals and others wanted their own freedom in Syria, in Tunisia, in Libya and elsewhere. Yes, it created disasters, often vacuums. And yes, it was hijacked by the Islamists almost country to country to country. But this maturation will go on, and I think this is a debate, this is a milieu that we need to be involved in. And our United States freedom, our freedom in America is being used 
by institutes like Yaqeen to brainwash our kids into thinking that totalitarian supremacist ideologies like the caliphate are somehow free. You'll notice in this piece that liberty and freedom are used in some ways negatively, pejoratively, and equated with capitalism, also looked upon pejoratively by this scholar out of Toledo, who's a fellow with the Yaqeen Institute, whose colleagues on their list of scholars make a who's who of the Muslim Brotherhood in America and in Canada. He said, after the Cold War, first of all, he said, the call for the caliphate is long overdue. For nearly a century now, Islam has not been allowed to be Islam. What the hell does that mean? Islam does not been allowed to be Islam again. The, the supremacists believe that all of the failures of theocracy is not because of its indigenous evil of its ideology, but because it's a victim, it's a creation of something else. Yeah, the, 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 the militants like Assad fuel the terrorists in order to legitimize military control, but unless you acknowledge as a Muslim that we have some deep reforms against the very scholars this this supremacist in this piece uses. Ibn Taymiyyah, the so-called respected scholar, is one of the primary cancers of Islamic theological history and scholarship, a cancer that legitimized torture, that legitimized lack of religious freedom, the usurping of free speech, the usurping of... of uh, property rights and other things in the name of the Islamic State, the jihadist state in which he called for jihad repeatedly in his Islamic teachings. But these guys, when they talk about Islam, notice they're all men, by the way, talk about Islam, they say Islam has not been allowed to be Islam. What is it? it it, it's such a, a, a twisted logic that the Islam that they believe is the real Islam, but those of us who reject the caliphate, who reject the Islamic State and reject armed jihad are now somehow Western agents. After the Cold War, he said the Western order triumphed its prophets, its prophets, P-H-E-T-S, from conservatives like Huntington, to liberals like Fukuyama, recognize the need for new frontiers and new enemies. Liberalism, like its economic twin, capitalism, constantly needs empire and conquest, and its triumph has nearly flattened the world, leaving liberals themselves sometimes wondering whether another kind of life is possible. Clifford Geertz, and I'm still reading from the piece here, said in his belief in the superiority of liberalism and his awareness as an anthropologist of genuine and irreducible diversity of human beliefs and cultures, his colleague Richard Schwader builds on this tension and poses a compelling question. Given the current flattening of all civilizations by liberal capitalism, is our brave new world-like monoculture the only possible human future? He boldly speculates. It is the third possible future, he suggests, that alone ensures real human prosperity and liberty. 
And this one I contend that Muslims can reasonably embrace. A world of genuinely different civilizations, but one that can see collaboration and coexistence, not clash as their constant renewing aim. So he looks this piece by the Muslim Brotherhood's consciousness put on Yaqeen Institute's website is basically saying what their goal is. Their goal is to achieve a, a, a caliphate that the West will help lift up because that is what Muslims want, so we'll do it out of religious freedom, but it'll be side by side. That'll be the death of the West. The death of the West. Because the Islamic supremacists, just like Erdogan talks about destroying Israel, Iran talks about destroying Israel, so does any caliphate that believes in a Sharia state without reform. And if it's reformed, the Sharia state would end. The idea of the caliphate would end. And I can tell you, as long as I'm breathing, as long as I'm alive, I will try to put the concept of the Islamic state into the dustbin of history, the caliphate into the dustbin of history, and jihad as an armed military conflict idea into the dustbin of history. There, no, there needs to be no more any evidence or any ideology that survives that believes military should ever organize based on jihad. The piece goes on. But I think it's time, ladies and gentlemen, that you all start to look at what's under your nose. A congresswoman invites Omar Soleiman to give a prayer. He then is ignored of all the anti-Semitic drivel, all the defense he's given of Ilhan Omar, and how he claims his politics is simply about being what's right and agonizes over what to be involved in, what platforms to have or not, as he talks about politics on his website, when in fact he is a hardcore card-carrying Islamist. If you want to know what the American Islamic political party is, go to the Akin Institute's website and you will know. The bigger question is, who's funding them? Who's funding this concept, caliphate light, Wahhabism, ISIS light? Who's, who's funding that? They may have a nonviolent approach, a so-called peaceful approach to caliphism, but it's like saying a peaceful approach to Nazism, to theocracy, to Khomeinism. Is there a peaceful approach to Hezbollah? peaceful approach to Islamic theocracy? I don't think so. So back in May when I was protesting Omar Suleiman's selection and he was felt to be a moderate, he talks about the rights of folks at the border and all these things. He, he sort of plays the line of the victim and embraces other minorities. He's an unmistakable supremacist. The website posts ideas that are anathema to American ideas of freedom and liberty. And until we recognize this, we are doomed. These organizations have budgets that are hundreds of times more than the budgets of Islamic reformist organizations in America. The list and pictures of scholars that they have 
and the time they're able to put into these pieces pale in comparison to the time that the rest of us have as we work regular day jobs, making a living for our families. So when you wonder why the reformists are losing the battles, these guys have fuel coming from somewhere, coming from fellow Islamists that are populist movements in America and the West and Canada and elsewhere, supported also by foreign Islamists in ideas, and I don't know about money, but at least in ideas, by the Turkish regime. And by the way, Omar Suleiman's picture was on an event that was supposed to happen around the General Assembly of the UN supporting Erdogan in New York City. And then when protests happened, he said he didn't authorize his picture to be used and he wasn't going to participate. It was not an accident that his picture was on there. Not a coincidence. He denied that he authorized it, but never criticized Erdogan, never criticized the lobbying group that put his picture on there with Dalia Mujahid and other Islamists. Ladies, this, ladies and gentlemen, this stuff is not complicated. Just as easy, if you're a capitalist, as easy as it is to pick out a socialist, these Islamist organizations are operating openly and are no longer about infiltration. It is about open activism through their farm teams, as uh, Araro Mesh just got elected and she's on this Yakin Institute, and their new leaders with Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, and their long silver-haired leaders who are running ISNA like Muhammad Majid and others. threat of their ideas is real the only way to defeat bad ideas is with good ideas and we need to have more of that a lot more to come thanks for being with me again this week on reform this follow me on twitter at dr zudi jasser d-r-z-u-h-d-i-j-a-s-s-e-r and on reform this radio god bless Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.